Hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to The Mental Society. Today I am joined by Kamini Woods. Kamini is a mother of five and international best-selling author. She's a certified uh, life coach for teens and adults, trained in conscious parenting, and is board certified through the American Association of Drugless Practitioners. That sounds fascinating. Um, as founder and CEO of Live Your Way and the Authentic Me Rise Up program, she works with high achievers on letting go of stress, overwhelm, and anxiety that comes with trying to do everything and trying to do it all perfectly. Um, Kamini helps remind them that their uniqueness is a gift to the world as she guides them on their journey back towards inner confidence, reduced stress and empowerment so they can be re-energized and become who they are meant to be in their personal and professional lives. Um, and her goal is to meet clients where they are and support them as they grow, uh, taking them from expectation hostage to resilient self-leader. And I, one, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And you know what? I was reading that, that expectation hostage. I love that phrase. Um, so tell me what that means for you and your clients. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here with you. Um, in terms of expectation hostage, what it means for me, as well as the clients that I work with, is it is a way to express how we are held in, we help hold ourselves back or we put ourselves in boxes in order to please others or in order to um, fulfill the expectations and the and receive the validation from other people rather than from an intrinsic place. So it's really referring to how we live extrinsically rather than intrinsically. This is on, I'm wondering too, if it's like, I'm holding myself to the expectation that I think someone else is expecting me to be right. Like, I think that this person is expecting me to show up in this way. So therefore I expect myself to show up. Yes. And also I think with people pleasers, what happens is, is we normalize certain behaviors for the people that we're in relationship with. So they actually do start expecting things of us. Oh, absolutely. so I think, I think it's both. It's a both and rather than a one or the other. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Because we teach people how to treat us. Mm -hmm. And so exactly. when we show up, let me do that for you. Let me fix that for you. Mm -hmm. I will always, you know, say yes. Mm -hmm. um, and saying yes can be problematic for, for a lot of us. It can, it can because we normalize, not always, but it can normalize the idea that we have to constantly do everything for everyone, or it normalizes the idea that we will always say yes, and that we don't give ourselves permission to say no. And we actually think it's a bad thing to say no. And like one of the things, you know, we talked a little bit that, that we work with some very similar people. Um, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is when you say yes, what opportunity are you taking away from someone else? Mm, because maybe you're not the right person for that, because if you're not all in, mm -hmm. are, and so, you know, when it comes to people pleasing, if you're not a hundred percent, like ready to do whatever that thing is, you know, it's kind of, are you showing up? in the way that that person really needs. Um, so I just, you know, that's something that like I've noticed is when you can see how you can benefit someone else with a no, 
mm-hmm. shifts that like I have to say yes. I have to say yes. The other the other perspective and in kind of bouncing off of that question that you're asking is if I say yes or if I say I will do this for this person, I'll people please and take care of the thing, whatever it may be. What are we potentially robbing them of getting to experience? So as moms, that happens a lot, right? Where we think we need to take care of things for our children. And when in fact, what if we allowed them to do it themselves? What if we allowed them the experience so that they could gain from it rather than us taking care of it, thinking that we're, we are trying to, um, you know, show up and do all the things and ensure that our children don't are well taken care of. Right. But in fact, what we're doing is we're robbing them of the experience of getting to have that autonomy for themselves. And as a mom myself, and and I know that I said, you're a mom of five, I don't want to raise children. I want to raise adults. Like I want when my kids leave home that they can cook for themselves and do their own laundry and And one of the things, you know, I've talked about, I think here, but with other people as well is growing up, we had a housekeeper and my parents did my laundry. And, and when I went to move out of the dorm in college, my mother hired our housekeeper for an extra day so that she could teach me how to clean. Mm -hmm. And like how awesome on one hand that my mom made sure I knew how to do the things. But then on the other hand, I wonder what I would have gained if I had been if I had ownership of some of those things. Um, and I think that that can be some of it when, when we're talking about like this, I have to do it all and do it all perfectly is we take on the ownership of all of these things. And then when things eventually fail, because you can't do everything and you can't do it all perfectly. Um, like when things eventually fail, we really beat ourselves up. Yes. Yes. The inner critic gets very loud. (laughs) So when we listen to that inner critic in your experience, how does that show up like with even our physical well-being? So when that inner critic takes over, I have seen, especially with my clients, it, it, it affects them uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So mentally and emotionally, they're, they're starting to believe those false beliefs around, I'm not good enough, or there's something wrong with me, or I've, I'm just a failure and I'm bad. Physically, what happens when we start believing those, those thoughts is we do start to feel it because our body has intelligence, right? We're, when we're feeding ourselves, these negative thoughts, our body's going to take it on. And so we definitely see people who end up with digestive issues, migraines, you know, chronic pain, um, Um, you know, the inability to sleep, for instance, you know, that's a big one. And then people wake up and they're exhausted or they're constantly fighting chronic colds. Well, that's all because of this, right? Because of all these other things, these thoughts that are happening, they absolutely will affect us physically. Because if it's, if you're in your brain, I'm not good enough. I need to do this. This didn't get done. This didn't get done. When you're trying to fall asleep, your brain never gets quiet. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, I know I'm guilty of it where I'll be about to fall asleep and I'll be like, oh crap, I need to put dog food on the list. <laughs> right. I mean, and I yes, know, yes. but, but that's one thing versus, oh my gosh, I didn't call the teacher and I didn't plan the PTA meeting and I didn't, you know, email that thing to my boss. And I didn't tell my husband that I need him to pick up the kids tomorrow because I have to take this one to the dentist. Right. And there's this, Mm -hmm. I think as women and not men too, but I think as 
you know, we are women. And so we can speak to that, but we get in this, we have to do everything and we don't as moms, it's like, it's my job. And if I don't do it, I fail as a mother. Right. I failed. I failed as a mother and I failed as the caretaker of the family and the person who can juggle all the balls. Um, it's very interesting. Um, you're mentioning the, the list, the list of things. And what I have seen very often is we keep that list to keep ourselves organized. But then at the end of the day, we're constantly looking at what didn't get done. And that's when the inner critic gets loud and beats us up for what didn't get done. And so a lot of times what I'll just say to clients is, Instead of at the end of the day, looking at what didn't get done, can we please take a moment and look at what did get done and pay attention to those successes? It's not to say we don't then pay attention to the things that still need to get done. They get moved to the next day, but it's where are we putting our energy? Where are we putting our focus? If we're constantly looking at what is wrong with how we showed up rather than what went well for how we showed up, we're only going to continue to feed that negativity. And I, this is something I do and Sometimes if it's not on my to-do list and I did it, I add it to my list because I like seeing that I have, that there was more that I did. Like you said, like, look at all these things I did instead of look at all these things I didn't do. And for me, I switched my list to, instead of a to-do list, it's a want to do list. Mm. Yeah. And yes, there are sometimes things that need to be done. Like, right. You have to pay bills because you want electricity. Um, but there are very few things in this world that have to be done right now and that can't wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually those things that have to be done right now are like an emergency, like your kid fell and broke their leg and I have to take them (laughs) to the hospital right Um, now would be preferable. Yes. (laughs) um, And, you know, with that though, people begin to depend on us for everything, And we depend on their um, validation for showing up in all of those ways. So like you've talked about the difference between, you you talk about codependent versus interdependent. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. um, It's funny. We, I think they get dependent on us and we get dependent on their need to depend on us is basically what you're describing. (laughs) Um, So with codependency, the way that I describe it is we lose our identity, right? We become kind of lost in the other person. The best way that I have demonstrated this for my clients is drawing two circles and literally putting them one on top of the other. You cannot tell the difference between you and the other person. We've kind of become one. We've totally lost our identity. And when we have an interdependent relationship, if we were to take that idea of each of us are two circles, what we're really doing is drawing a Venn diagram where the circles are somewhat overlapping, right? But you can still see each separate circle. We can still see its own identity. And the parts that are not overlapping are the parts that are really our identity still, right? It's it's our desires, our needs, our beliefs, our wants. All of that is still existent. And the part that is overlapping is the us. And that's what we do together. That's our goals that are maybe as a couple or, you know, it depends what relationship we're talking about, family, whatever relation. It doesn't have to just be romantic, but that's the us version. But what we're doing in interdependent relationships is we're still maintaining who we are on our own without losing our identity. And I think what ends up happening a lot with moms is we take on the role or our identity becomes the role of mom and caretaker and doer of all things. And in that process, without even realizing it, we do start to lose some connection with our own needs. 
and our own wants and our own desires. And that's when we start becoming codependent and we end up being, you know, basically one circle on top of the other. And that makes so much sense. Like, right. We want to be present always for our kids. We Mm -hmm. want our kids to do well. Um, and you know, when you're married, you want your partner, you want to support your partner and all of the things so that they can do well. And when you lose yourself, what happens when those relationships end or shift, right? Like, cause you have kids in college now, right. That are. Yeah. My, my oldest is actually out of the house. She's a, she's a 20, she's 21, but she's um actually working as a professional ballerina. So she's kind of on her own doing her own thing. But even my second oldest is in college and there is a shift in that relationship. The dynamic has to shift. And when you have that codependency of the need to be needed all the time, there is a feeling of, well, who am I now? I'm actually working with somebody um, currently who's, who's going through that, that shift. You know, it's, it's the empty nest type syndrome where it's like, oh gosh, the people who have needed me all this time and that I identified my role with uh, taking care of their needs, they're not needing me in the same regard. And so there is that, that time period of, well, now I've got to, I've got to realign with myself and figure out who I am now. And when you've spent 20 years or 18 years with a kid that my whole existence is wrapped up in this 18 years of not taking care of yourself and doing anything for you, how do you even know who you are? Yeah, it's a big one. How do you know who you are, what you actually like to do? And that's the work. That's the work to actually take the time to realign with, with yourself. And that can be hard for many of us, because again, it goes to, I don't, do I deserve this time for myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or do I, you know, should I spend money on myself because money should be going to whatever this thing is over here. And I want to remind, like when I work with clients, it's like you're investing in yourself as well. And so what if, you know, what if you could free up a couple hours a week? What is that actually worth to you? Because you're not doing these things that you hate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also when you do invest in yourself, how do you then actually show up more engaged when you are actually in connection with people? And as a mom, you know, as parents, we want our kids, like we said, to thrive. So what are we teaching our children when we're not modeling that self-care behavior when we're not, um, you know, taking time away from these people that we love, right? I love Mm -hmm. my kids, but sometimes I need a break from them. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we need to say no, and we need to, to demonstrate boundaries. I know from my own personal experience, my, my kids were actually my mirror to show me my people pleasing ways, right? Because that's definitely something that I, I, I needed to work through. I still have it. I mean, I don't think you out, you don't leave parts of your personality behind. You just learn how to manage them better. Um, and, and I do believe that my empathetic nature is what allows me to do my work as you know, to engage in it and to be truly effective in what I do. However, if you lean too far into anything, it can become a weakness. Right. And so when I lean too far into that, I do end up in my people pleasing nature. Um, but my kids started showing up in that way. And the truth is we have a choice. 
And the choice is, do we want our kids to, to mirror that? Or would we want the ability to show them there is a different way? And learning to set boundaries and learning to say no, that's not necessarily a bad a bad thing, not just for yourself, but to your point exactly of like, well, what do we want to show our kids? That it's actually okay and safe to take care of ourselves. Like we don't have to give up ourselves in deference to other people. We can absolutely take care of ourselves and love our family at the same time. Yes. And, you know, like sort of in the same vein, I have curly hair forever. I straightened it every day. My daughter has super curly hair, like super. And I think she was like eight or nine. And I, all of a sudden I was like, what am I teaching my child? When I tell her, her curls are beautiful, but I straighten my hair and I hide my curls. And so as parents, what are we teaching our kids and telling them about their value and their, you know, what makes them worthy of love, right? If we show up as I'm only good enough, if I do 5 million things for everyone else, it's almost like we're setting them up. I hate to say failure, but we're setting them up to be in that people pleaser. I have to, to repeat, do- to repeat that belief system, right? It's, it's, and, it's, re- it's taking that to the next generation. And I think that's a thing. I mean, generational, all of the things, right. Whether mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, even how we cook, right. Like we get our recipes from our grandmothers and our mothers and, and then, you know, like how we you know, like my mom doesn't love to cook. She hates it. In fact, she's like terrible. It's funny. Her mom is also my grandmother. I remember my favorite story of my grandmother is she made my grandfather a cake um, and no one would eat it. So she put it outside for the critters to eat. (laughs) Um, None of them ate it. So she covered it in peanut butter with the hope that like someone would go like, you know, and all the critters went out and they ate the peanut butter and like, the <laughs> and so like, if I had learned how to make a cake from my grandmother, it wouldn't be a cake that, you know, I could share with others. Right. So I had to, I mean, I wasn't alive this, but it's one of the best stories about my grandmother. But if I, if I take the time to learn how to make a cake I can actually please more people than if I take this recipe that was a complete failure that my grandmother used, right? Right, So if we look at what didn't work for our, you know, generationally, that gives us so much information on how we can show up differently for our families. Right, right. Um, You know, like I... I'm a different mom than my mom was for me Mm -hmm. um, in part because I'm a different person, but also because I, there were things I loved about the way that she parented and things I didn't love so much. So I made a shift. And um, so I think that when we, as parents and mothers, how are we showing up for our kids and what are we Exactly. How are we showing up? What are we teaching them? And what are we potentially projecting onto them? And what I mean by that is what haven't we necessarily worked out that we might be projecting? Because a lot of times we do project our own fears or our own stories and narratives. And it's, it's in terms of being a conscious parent, it's, it's taking ownership of that story 
working on that for ourselves instead of projecting it onto our kids and working it out there. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think taking care of ourselves really sets us up to have the space to take care of our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to shift just a little, because you said the word conscious. And then I remember saying conscious uncoupling is something Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. do as well, Mm -hmm. Um, which I am in the, like the tail end of a divorce process. Um, And what's interesting is for us, I think we are better. We have a a better co-parenting relationship and in a lot of ways, a better friendship even than we Mm -hmm. did when we were married. Um, And so I wonder if you could talk more about that conscious uncoupling and what that means and then the benefits of that. Sure. So with conscious uncoupling, um, which is based on Catherine Woodward Thomas's work, what we're really doing is we are recognizing that the healing in order to get over a relationship, we have to do that internal work. It's about taking a look at ourselves. How did we show up in the relationship? Not from a judgment perspective at all. It's from a very curious, uh, a compassionately curious place where we're, we're asking ourselves specific questions about what patterns might we have repeated within the relationship. Um, you know, what narratives and stories did we bring into the relationship and how can we actually heal through those so that we actually can heal through the end of this relationship and not necessarily repeat those as we go on to other relationships, because a lot of people will go through a breakup or the dissolution of a, of a a relationship, whether it's a marriage or just a relationship, you know, a long-term relationship or even a short-term relationship. And they immediately jump into another one thinking, well, you know, this will heal me. I I'll do better this time. But if we don't take the time to go through that, that, take the time to go through and understand who we were in that dynamic and understand how we can grow through it and heal completely before getting into another relationship. Most often we will end up repeating patterns just because they've been left unhealed. That makes a lot of sense. So it's, it's very much a figure out who I am separate from this relationship. Um, so I don't, yeah. I, and I'm, that makes me like, I think of a, a good friend of mine who, I mean, her divorce was final and like a week later she was living with someone Somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, now they, they had not been living, you know, she and her ex had not been living together mm-hmm. for a while. And like you said, the same things that she had complained about with her ex-husband started coming up in this relationship. And I was just like, man, like you're complaining about him doing the exact same thing. So like, what is, what's your role in this? And exactly. I hate, like, and that's what's not your part. Blame. What's your part? Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not about blame at all. It's just giving ourselves permission to ask what's our part because there always is. And your part isn't, we all have a role to play in this world mm-hmm. and we get to decide, I think, if we stay on stage in that role and that costume, or if we want to go to a different stage, or maybe we just want to be like the stage hand and hide in the background for a little while. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. Like not yeah. being, I, I mean, and not moving directly into a new relationship which sometimes, right, like you might find a great person and maybe even you heal with that person and that person shows you something. But 
if you're not willing to do that work to heal yourself, you're never going to make any significant long-term changes in how you and others experience you, how you're experiencing the world, how others show up. And like you said earlier, we teach people how to, to treat us. And so if we are comfortable with having taught people how to treat us as that people pleaser, we haven't learned how to unpeople please, you know, and everything Mm -hmm. and to go right into that next relationship. And a part of the conscious uncoupling too, is coming to the completion of that relationship, right? So it's about finding a way to really feel complete and that we no longer have other things left. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we have really toxic dynamics and it mm-hmm. sounds like you and, and your previous spouse are in a good place, which is amazing. But some of us don't have that opportunity, right? There are lots of people that it's a very toxic dynamic and the, the communication can't happen. And so even in that process, you can still have the ability to to voice out what it is that you want to say, but maybe not necessarily to the person, but there are ways that you can actually presence it for yourself because that's the important part is coming to that completion for yourself. And that's that conscious part of it. It's Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring from the unconscious to the conscious, what it is that's been underneath driving Mm -hmm. me for however long I was in this relationship and allow myself to work through it. Yeah. And let me start with like when my ex and I first split, oh, it was, it was ugly. It was, I mean, it was, it was not, it was not great. And I'll be honest for me, I went to, you know what, I'm really angry and hurt and I'm feeling very much like the victim in this and I want to fight him. And I took a step back and I was like, what happens if I, instead of being ready to fight, I just show up with a, this is like, how can we work together to make this easier on all of us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that doesn't mean that I forgive him for everything. It doesn't mean that I don't own my part. It's just instead of fighting and being angry with each other, we've got kids together. Like we are going to be part of each other's lives forever. Right. So let's figure out how to make this comfortable for all right. of us. Right. And how to co-parent in a healthier, a healthier way. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, my, my ex went, moved straight from our house and with, um, his girlfriend, uh, which it's definitely like a weird thing. And because they were living together, I had said to him, like, I would like to meet her. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was truly like, you are spending time with my kids. I just want to know who you are. And I remember getting to that place to meet her and she was a ball of nerves. She just was ready for me to fight her. Mm-hmm. And I started with like, look, we are on the same team. Mm-hmm. Like my kids' names are Emily and Jacob. And I was like, we are on team Emily and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to work together. Like mm-hmm. we're, I don't, we don't have to be friends. Like I have my friends, you have your friends. But when it comes to my kids, we are on the same team. Right. Like, and I set down some expectations for her about, you know, the parenting kinds of things and discipline and what I want her to share with me or, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so there we had this incredible communication and set up expectations from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something we don't often do in relationships 
or when expectations change on our end, we struggle with sharing those. Yes. Yes. And then I'm curious if you've experienced this with your clients or in your life, when your expectations have changed, like how you want to show up or what you want from someone, how easy is that to let that other person know, hey, this isn't going to work this way for me anymore? You know, what's so interesting about what you just said, and I just really, I want to honor you and what you did in that situation, because it's so easy to allow our emotions to dictate our actions. And what I was just hearing and what you were describing was being able to step back from it and ask what, what is the priority in, in this, in this realm? And it's your children. And so from that place, you're able to make an empowered choice over communication like we're going to have direct communication and we're going to talk about our expectations so that we we are all on the same page versus allowing emotions to dictate the actions. Because when we come from an emotionally charged place, that's when we make the disempowered choices. So amazing that you were able to do that. Um, and, And to your question, yes. I mean, I do think that as we grow and evolve as humans, our expectations do change. Our desires change. Our Our needs may even change. And a lot of times, if we are people pleasers, we are very afraid of communicating what those are. But what happens when we have unspoken expectation is 99% of the time, somebody's going to get offended or get hurt. Um, And so it is so important to, to give ourselves permission to check in with ourselves. What is it that I need? What is it that I want? And then from a a compassionate standpoint, from a, you know, Marshall Rosenberg talk, or he's no longer with us, but he he put out that nonviolent communication. It is about communicating with whomever, whether it's our partner, our kids, work, coworkers, what it is that we're noticing that's happening. Like, what are we observing? How does that make us feel? And what are we needing? And the need is what we're really expecting or desiring from the other person so that with that, they can hear the request and either meet us there or we can negotiate on it. If we never presence that with the other person, they're left guessing. And here's the, the thing that I've noticed, especially with clients who are people pleasers, they have gotten used to and normalized anticipating what people want and, and almost mind reading and the other person in their lives gets used to that. And they kind of expect them to mind read. And what happens when you're doing that work and you're stepping outside of that people pleaser Mm -hmm. role, you're slowly no longer putting yourself in the position of mind reading and anticipating. And it puts the ownership on the other people in your life to step up and communicate to you what they expect of you which doesn't always happen. (laughs) And then when you're, when you're showing up differently and you're not in that mind reading place, they think you still are, they're not getting their needs met. That, that dynamic. Oh, like it Mm -hmm. can really harm relationships, even though the underlying thing has the potential to really improve that relationship. Yes. Right. Like yes. Yes. We need better communication. I want mm-hmm. you to tell me what what it is that I can do for you. Right. And I do think that there's something beautiful about like, you know, I'm, I've been dating someone for a little while, and he really loves monsters. I, I'm not a fan of them, but you know, like he he went with me. We we traveled for Thanksgiving, and I knew we were going to be up early in the morning, so I went out the day before. And I got a monster so that like 
first thing in the morning, he had one. Now, he didn't have that expectation. I mean, because I've never bought him one before. Right. Um, and it was, it wasn't a people pleasing place. It was a, I know that this is something that you value in the morning to help you wake up. Mm-hmm. I want to show you that I care about appreciate you. you. Right. right. Like right. I want mm-hmm. to know I was thinking about you and that you are an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. And that is very different than, you know, hit like someone just showing up with, well, you've done this for me before. So now you have to do it every single time. All the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of the appreciation goes away when there's that expectation. Expectation, a hundred percent. And then the person that is doing the thing starts to not feel value mm. because they're just not being appreciated. And I think that all of us want to feel valued by the people that we love. Absolutely. And absolutely. When, when that piece isn't there, it really, it impacts how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the other person and our willingness or unwillingness to continue to do. Can continue to do it. Yes. I was actually just talking to a client about this, um, just last week and really what was coming to the surface was just this overwhelming feeling of being underappreciated. And it's not that she doesn't want to do certain things, but because the way she's been showing up in her family dynamic has been doing all of the things and it became so normalized, you know, something as simple as saying, thank you for dinner, not because she needs the thank you, but because it's just a way for them to her family to acknowledge Hey mom, thanks for like working all day and then coming home and making this dinner. And that's just, I appreciate that. And as humans having that moment of appreciation does feel good, not because we need it to say I'm valuable, but because we feel witnessed by the family members that we just showed up for and are engaging with. But you want to feel seen. You want your work to be honored and appreciated because that's part of who you are, right? Like when you cooked that dinner, you put a little piece of yourself, whether it was just your time, but you're planning, you're going to the store, making the shopping list or, you know, whatever it is. When, when someone says, thank you, you feel seen and appreciated and respected. And, and I think, you know, with all of these things that we've talked about, and even with other people, guests and clients that I have, I think what it really boils down to is communication. Mm-hmm. And clear expectations. Communication, clear expectations. And I'll throw one more in there as boundaries. Oh, I, yes. I, and what people don't realize is I think boundaries can look different for each person. Yes. And boundaries can be moved. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was working with someone, um, there's another coach we were talking about boundaries and I'm from the South and, you know, I live in Texas and I was like, sometimes boundaries are more like, you know, cattle great, right? Like a cow, like a cow can't get in or out because of the way their feet are, but mm-hmm. other things can get in and out. Mm-hmm. So maybe like that space is open, but just for the right people or the, the right things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there's something about that. That's like boundaries aren't permanent. 
I love your, your metaphor. I usually use the metaphor of fence. It's a, it's like a fence, you know, with a fence, you can see through it. You can hear through it. You can move it if you need to. And there's a gate that you can open and close. People can come in and out. It's not this wall that we're building from us to the other people. And, and I think, you know, like when we think about boundaries between, um, uh, countries or even states, there are often, you can't even see them, right? They're just this kind of arbitrary, this mm-hmm. is where the boundary is because that's where we say the boundary is. Um, and so sometimes boundaries aren't seen and we have to make sure that people understand what those boundaries are. Again, through that communication and that here are my expectations. So yeah, I think you know with all that we've talked about, people pleasing doesn't do anyone in this situation any good. Right. It's yeah. Usually we're trying to avoid conflict. And in the end, we end up in conflict. <laughs> this conflict doesn't feel good, right? We always want, yeah, because I think right as soon as the minute you think conflict, I think of like wars and arguments and fighting. Right. Right. But but here's the the key is that conflict can actually just mean growth. And yes, and I think growth happens in that uncomfortable place. And yeah you know, when you have that conflict, it it allows a space to open up for that communication to happen. Exactly. Um, so listeners, don't be afraid of conflict. Take the time to understand what your boundaries are um, and then communicate them clearly to the people in your life and set up clear expectations because we want to no longer be an expectation hostage be held back by our expectations, instead be clear and open with them so that we can live fully and completely and be present for everyone that matters, most importantly, ourselves. Because if you're not present, then no one else is going to fill in that role. And I know it's like that, you know, we all hear the airplane mask on, yeah, which is great. But also I talk a lot about like, we are the center of our own solar system where we're the sun of our solar system. And if the sun isn't working as in there's no light, we don't have life on earth. And if that goes away, the sun goes away, everything spins out of control. So you've got mm-hmm. to make sure that your sun, your light, your mass, whatever is on point, um, which goes back to expectations, clear boundaries, and not doing it all. Because if you burn out, everyone around you is going to go fly. Is your on array. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I really, um, Kamini, I really appreciate you taking time to meet with me um, and share more about this, like people-pleasing codependence um, and how to really show up authentically so that everyone around you gets their needs met and you don't, um, gosh, you know, burn out and resent all the people around you. Um, so thank you again. If you would like to learn more about, um, comedy, you can check out her website, which is comedywood.com. There are a bunch of resources and, um, links there. She's got a great book, um, about being more present right in the Mm -hmm. moment. Um, and there's a link to buy that there. Um, you have some other resources and I am sure that if you would like to work with her so that you can get out of that, um, 
place of I've got to take care of everyone else. Um, <laughs> how do I take care of me? She will walk with you on that journey. Um, so thank you again for joining me. And with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out into the world and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced all around you. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society and all the places you find your favorite podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. For other resources and articles, um, you can check those out by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. Remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.